Now give ear to the reading of God's Word. Our text this morning comes from John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. These are the words of God. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our gracious God, we thank you for the word that you have spoken. Would you now by your Spirit anoint my lips and open our ears that we might hear and receive with faith the preaching of your word. We thank you that what was future in this text is now a present reality in the life of all who believe in Jesus. We rejoice in this great gift and we pray that as we consider it, that you would work in us an overflow of these wonderful life-giving rivers. We ask for this in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. The Bible begins and ends with rivers. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and to overflow into four rivers that watered the whole earth. Fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 22, and we come to the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, nourishing the trees all along its banks, the trees whose leaves bring healing to the nations. The water of life springs up wherever heaven touches earth, and the garden, and the holy city, and it flows from there all over the world. Like a river, this theme runs throughout the Bible as a picture of God's life-giving work. You'll find it coming up again. Psalm chapter 1, Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 47. But this morning, listen to Zechariah 14, where the prophet describes the day of the Lord. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Well, do you hear that? For Zechariah, there is a close connection between the Lord becoming king and life-giving water flowing from out of Jerusalem. So when Jesus stands up and declares that he is the source from which every thirst will be quenched and from whom living waters would flow. And when John tells us that Jesus was talking about the spirit who was to come after Jesus was glorified, we see that this river of life running throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end is a picture of the saving work of the triune God, promised by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and imparted to the world through the Holy Spirit. 
So that's the big picture background to Jesus' proclamation in John chapter 7. But Jesus makes this great announcement in a very specific context. On the last day, the great day of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. This was the feast commemorating God's care for His people throughout their wilderness wanderings on the way to the promised land. As they wandered, they lived in booths. And so during the feast, Israel would make booths out of tree branches, and they would live in them for a week, while the rest of the rites and the festivals and the ceremonies were celebrated, commemorating God's faithfulness during this time. Well, one of the other ceremonies that Jewish tradition tells us about how this was developed was meant to remind the people of Israel how God provided water for them in the wilderness. You'll see the story that's the basis for this tradition in Numbers chapter 20, which tells of how Israel received water from a rock in the desert. But listen to how Israel then combined the celebration of that miracle with the prophecy from Zechariah. During this week-long feast, when Israel will all gather in these, these homemade booths or, or little tabernacles, the priest would go each day and dip a golden water jar into the pool of Siloam and lead the people marching in joyful parade to the altar at the temple where the water would be poured out, picturing and anticipating this hope. The water flowing from a rock through this altar from the temple to give life to all the people. And so a major aspect of this Feast of Booths celebration was this reminder that just as God gave water in the wilderness, so He promised to give water from the holy city on the day that the Lord became king. And so with that on everyone's mind, with that drama being enacted before everyone's face on the great and final day of the feast, that's when Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Not let him come to the pool of Siloam. Not let him come even to the temple for this life-giving water. Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is saying, I am the one who will quench your thirst. I am the rock from, from which the river of living water flows. What an incredible claim. It's too easy for us to miss that. Because for us, it's, it slides into Bible speak. Of course, Jesus would say something like this. We love Jesus. We worship Jesus. We recognize him as this source. But at that moment, when he makes this claim, there was no one who heard him saying, oh, of course, well, this makes sense. Yes, it's Jesus. There were some at that moment who put their faith in Jesus and responded. But many of those who heard him sought to arrest him for blasphemy because of what he said. Because this incredible claim is either true or it's blasphemous for Jesus to claim that he is the place where heaven and earth meet. He is the source of life for all who come. 
So back then, they, they faced a choice. They needed to respond. This was not a moment during the feast that everyone could just shrug off and move on. This demanded a reaction, a response. And it still calls for that for those who hear today. So let's listen again to what Jesus says. He opens the invitation to anyone who thirsts, to anyone who wants to leave the wilderness behind, to anyone who longs to receive life from God. And so there is a simple way to know if Jesus' invitation is for you. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you have a desire for God that is unfulfilled? Are you longing to know God, to be at peace with Him? Are you ready for your restless wandering to be over? Well, if you are, then this invitation is for you. And the invitation itself is very simple. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Approach the rock with your mouth open, ready to drink your fill. Come to Jesus. This coming means looking to Jesus to quench your thirst. By coming to Jesus and not looking elsewhere, you're acknowledging that Jesus is the one to satisfy you, which means that the rest of the world doesn't satisfy. That you've not found anywhere else the water that satisfies this thirst. You have a thirst that cannot be met any other way. And so this, coming to Jesus, is a humble step. It means you're acknowledging, I can't satisfy my own thirst. Nothing I have, nothing I do, my possessions, my career, my relationships, none of this satisfies this thirst that I have. I'm looking for a source of the water that I need. And to come to Jesus means putting your trust in Him. Because of that, it's a bold step. Can you imagine that first person on that great day to to step forward in response to Jesus' call to say, I believe you. I've been here worshiping this entire week, living in these booths, coming daily to the temple to praise God, and still there's something missing. And Jesus, I believe, it's found in you. I hope we'll be able to meet that person one day who broke rank and walked across and said, Jesus, I need you to satisfy my thirst. It was a bold step then. It's still a bold step now. And it's also a necessary step because without that water, you will die of thirst. You'll die. There's nothing else that can satisfy your soul. And this means that you can't appreciate Jesus from a distance. You can't think well of Jesus and his message. You can't approve of him from far away. You must come. And you need to come personally. And so I want to say this. If you were brought to Jesus, which many of you, praise God, were, especially you younger children, you were initially brought to Jesus because your parents love Jesus and because they love you. And so they brought you to Jesus. At that moment, it wasn't your decision. But that decision 
comes again now every day. Where are you going to go to satisfy your thirst? And so the call comes, come to Jesus. And not just that. Not just that daily decision of discipleship to satisfy your thirst by coming to Jesus, but you need to come to Jesus and drink. Maybe you thought that this was obvious, but Jesus wants to make sure that you know that coming close to him is not enough. Judas, we remember, was close to Jesus for many years, and it did not satisfy his thirst. So what does it mean then to come to Jesus and drink? Well, Jesus tells us, he explains, whoever believes in me. To drink of Jesus is to believe in him, to personally commit yourself to Jesus as the one source that satisfies your thirst, to receive Jesus and his living water into your heart so that then those rivers of living water can flow out of your heart. Think back to that story I've already mentioned from Numbers chapter 20 when Moses was getting water for Israel out of the rock and instead of speaking to the rock in faith, Moses struck the rock. And Scripture tells us it was because at that moment... He did not believe. So the the lesson for us then is to not just come within striking distance of Jesus. Don't just come to church and do churchy things. Don't show up and be near Jesus because it's the expected thing to do. It's a habit you picked up when you were younger. You just keep doing it. Church is probably a good thing. That's not what Jesus says. That's not his call. You need to believe that Jesus is the one who satisfies your thirst. You need to fill your mouth with prayer to Jesus. You need to receive his word, to hear it, to obey it, to be washed in the waters of baptism, and to come to the Lord's table, not as a default habit, but as a heartfelt act of personal devotion that responds to the call of Jesus, believing him when he says that he has living water for you. So come to Jesus and drink. That's the call. And the promise that comes with that call is that when you drink Jesus, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus' life flows into you, but it also surprisingly flows out of you. As you become more than simply a container of this water, you become a conduit that this water flows through, through your life, through your lips, through your hands, through your actions, through your words. And this calls us to look at our lives then. What's flowing out of you? What flows out of your hands, your mouth? If you've been drinking deeply of Jesus, then Jesus will flow out of your heart and your life. But if you've been satisfying your thirst somewhere else, then that too will flow out. But what does that even mean? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, thankfully, in verse 39, John clarifies for us, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives this life. 
When you drink deeply of Jesus, he fills you with his Holy Spirit, just as he did the saints on the day of Pentecost, as we heard read for us in Acts chapter 2. And as you are filled with this Spirit, your heart is forever moved from the wandering in the wilderness, from the dry desert condition that marked it before, into the satisfied, growing, blooming, thriving relationship with God. The Spirit of God lives within you, and so there is spiritual life inside of you constantly springing up in your heart. Worry and anxiety and fear and dread and bitterness and malice and hatred, all of these are things that desiccate, that dry out your soul, that sap your life not just in some secret, internal, spiritual way, but often in a very visible way. People can tell when these habits, these practices mark your life, when you're dry spiritually, when you're empty. But here Jesus says, if that's you, if your life is marked by this thirst, by this dry and parched condition, then he himself provides the remedy by giving you the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live within you, and instead of these dry desert conditions, your life bears fruit, spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you can testify to this reality working its way out in your own life. You remember clearly a time when you were dry, when your soul was parched, when you were going through life and you knew there was a clear lack, a hole, a void. And you remember the moment when you met Jesus and that changed. And maybe you can tell, maybe you have told those around you, of, yes, this is is what it felt like. It felt like being dry and parched and being given a cool glass of water and drinking it all the way to the bottom. For others of you, maybe that's not a clear moment, there's not a, a point of transition, but there's been this sense that you've always been near the water. You've known Jesus, you've had the opportunity to quench your thirst. Whenever it comes up, you are connected to Jesus. And so you have this source of life inside you. But whether it was that dramatic moment or whether it's been a lived reality for you all your life, when you came to Jesus, he gave you his spirit. And your heart was transformed from a dry desert into a rushing river of grace. Now, at the time that Jesus said this, John notes that the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Even those who believed in Jesus had not yet received it because that moment of glory was still to come. So when and how was Jesus glorified? Well, first of all, through his death. As Moses struck the rock in Numbers chapter 20, Paul then goes on to tell us that rock was Christ. Christ, the rock, first had to be stricken, smitten and afflicted before the life-giving water would start to flow. 
And so our rock, Christ, was struck on the cross. And what, if you remember, flowed from his side? A river of blood and water. Picturing this deeper spiritual reality. Christ's death seemed at that moment to be humiliation, seemed to represent failure. But because through his death he overcame sin and unbelief, his death is remembered as a glory, even to the point that we call that Friday good. But then, as God so often does, he added glory to glory through the resurrection. And then, as we discussed last week, in the ascension. So as we read from Zechariah, the river that flowed, the people of Israel would hear that passage read every year at the Feast of Booths to remind them that on the day of the Lord, when God struck that rock, the river would flow from Jerusalem and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And so what they saw as future what they constantly reminded themselves of by pointing to the future is what we remember as we celebrate, as we have been doing these feasts of Ascension, and now today, Pentecost. As Pastor Garner preached last week, Ascension Sunday marks the day when Christ Jesus, the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, ascended into heaven to take His glorious throne. And then, as His great act as the newly enthroned king, King Jesus gave gifts to his people and sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, rushing as a flame, as a wind, into the lives of all who believe, so that through them, his glory and his gospel could spread all over the earth. Like the river in Genesis 2, like the river in Revelation 22. What Jesus spoke of as future in John 7 came to pass through his ascension and at the day of Pentecost. The Lord is king over all the earth. His river is flowing, starting with Jerusalem, but now reaching all the way to Cary. The same river, the same glory came true for you when you believed, when you put your faith, when you responded to that call of Jesus and came to him. And so this is the result of Jesus' being glorified. Now, as king, through his spirit, he satisfies the spiritual desire of all who thirst for God. It doesn't matter how dry you are. Christ satisfies you with the living water of his spirit through your life as your heart overflows with what Christ has done for you. The spirit continues to spread that living water all over the earth. Other people can see that you are satisfied. They see that you're not thirsty in the same way that they are. They see that God has revived your dry and drooping soul. They see that you have life welling up inside of you, a joy and a peace that they don't know, but that they want. And so just like on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, our lesson for today, they hear you speaking in their own language, 
and telling them of the mighty works of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you are telling them, right? You are speaking to them. You are overflowing this water into their lives, are you not? Proverbs 10, 11 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Through your witness, thirsty people are invited to step into this river, to be baptized into the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to receive that great Pentecost blessing, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who causes life and health and joy to spring up inside of them, a river of life that never runs dry. So let all the thirsty come and drink. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, on this day you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. May this gift flow like rivers of living water throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. And amen.